0: Book 2, Chapter 2. Of Their Mutual Child. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Their Mutual Child by P. G. Woodhouse. Book 2, Chapter 2. An Unknown Path. Kirk blinked. He closed his eyes and opened them again. The automobile was still there, and he was still in it. Ruth was still gazing at him with the triumphant look in her eyes. The chauffeur, silent emblem of a substantial bank balance, sat stiffly at the steering wheel. "'Rich!' Kirk repeated. "'Rich!' Ruth Ruth assured him. "'I don't understand.' Ruth's smile faded poor father your father he died just after you sailed just before bill got ill she gave a little sigh kirk how odd life is but it was terrible it was some kind of a stroke he'd been working too hard and taking no exercise you know when he sent steve away that time he didn't engage anybody else in his place he went back to his old way of living which the doctor had warned him against he worked and worked till one day Bailey says he fainted at the office. They brought him home, and he just went out like a burned-out candle. I I went to him, but for a long time he wouldn't see me. Oh, Kirk, the hours I spent in the library hoping he would let me come to him, but he never did till right at the end. When I went up, he was dying. He couldn't speak. I don't know how he felt towards me at the last. I kissed him. He was all shrunk to nothing i had a horrible feeling that i had never been a real daughter to him but-but you know he made it difficult awfully difficult and then he died bailey was on one side of the bed and i was on the other and the nurse and the doctor were whispering outside the door i could hear them through the transom she slipped her hand into kirk's and sat silent while the car slid into the traffic of fifth avenue for the second time the shadow of the great mystery had fallen on the brightness of the perfect morning. The car had stopped at 34th Street to allow the hurrying crowds to cross the avenue. Kirk looked at them with a feeling of sadness. It was not caused by John Bannister's death. He was too honest to be able to plunge himself into false emotion at will. His feeling was a more vague uneasiness, almost presentiment. Things changed too quickly in this world, old landmark shifted as the crowd of strangers was shifting before him now, hurrying into his life and hurrying out of it. He too had changed. Ruth, though he had detected no signs of it, must be different from the Ruth he had left a year ago. The old life was dead. What had the new life in store for him? Well, for one thing, other standards of living, new experiences. An odd sensation of regret that this stream of gold had descended upon him deepened his momentary depression. They had been so happy, he and Ruth and the kid, in the old days of the hermit's cell. Something that was almost a superstitious fear of this unexpected legacy came upon him. It was unlucky money, grudgingly given at the eleventh hour. He seemed to feel John Bannister watching him with a sneer, and he was afraid of him. His nerves were still a little unstrung from the horror of his wanderings, and the fever had left him weak. It seemed to him That there was a curse on the old man's wealth, that somehow it was destined to bring him unhappiness. The policeman waved his hand, the car jerked forward. The sudden movement brought him to himself. He smiled, a little ashamed of having been so fanciful. The sky was blue, the sun shone, a cool breeze put the joy of life into him, and at his side, Ruth sat, smiling now. From her, too, the cloud had been lifted. It seems like a fairy story, said Kirk breaking the silence that had fallen between them. "'I think it must have been the thought of Bill that made him do it,' said Ruth. "'He left half his money to Bailey and half to me during my lifetime.' "'Bailey's married now, by the way,' she paused. "'I'm afraid Father never forgave you, dear,' she added. "'He made Bailey the trustee for the money, and it goes to Bill in trust after my death.' She looked at him rather nervously, it seemed to Kirk. "'The terms of the will had been the cause of some trouble to her, especially had she speculated upon his reception of the news that Bailey was to play so important a part in the administration of the money. Kirk had never told her what had passed between him and Bailey that afternoon in the studio, but her quick intelligence had enabled her to guess at the truth, and she was aware that the minds of the two men, their temperaments, were naturally antagonistic. Kirk's reception of the news relieved her, course he said he couldn't do anything else he knew nothing of me except i was a kind of man with whom he was quite out of sympathy he mistrusted all artists i suspect in a bunch and anyway an artist is pretty sure to be a bad man of business he would know that and and well what i mean is it strikes me as a very sensible arrangement why are we stopping here the car had drawn up before a large house on the upper avenue one of those houses which advertise affluence with as little reticence as a fat diamond solitaire we live here said ruth laughing kirk drew a long breath do we by george he exclaimed i see it's going to take me quite a while to get used to this state of things a thought struck him how about the studio have you got rid of it of course not the idea after the perfect times we had there we're going to keep it on as an annex every now and then when we're tired of being rich we'll creep off there and boil eggs over the gas stove and pretend we're just ordinary persons again and oftener than every now and then this particular plutocrat is going to creep off there and try to teach himself to paint pictures ruth nodded yes i think you ought to have a hobby it's good for you kirk said nothing but it was not as a hobby that he was regarding his painting he had come to a knowledge of the realities of the wilderness and to an appreciation of the fact that he had a soul which could not be kept alive except by honest work he had the decent man's distaste for living on his wife's money he supposed that it was inevitable a certain proportion of it must go to his support but he was resolved that there should be in the sight of the gods who look down on human affairs at least a reasonable excuse for his existence if work could make him anything approaching a real artist he would become one Meanwhile he was quite willing that ruth should look upon his life-work as a pleasant pastime to save him from ennui even to his wife a man is not always eager to exhibit his soul in its nakedness by the way said ruth you won't find george Pennicut at the studio he's gone back to england i'm sorry i liked george he liked you he left all sorts of messages he nearly wept when he said good-bye but he wouldn't stop in a burst of confidence he told me what the trouble was our blue sky had gotten his nerves he wanted a london drizzle again he said it made him homesick kirk entered the house thoughtfully somehow this last piece of news had put the coping stone on the edifice of his his what depression it was hardly that no it was a kind of vague regret for the life which had so definitely ended the feeling which the romans called desiderium and the greeks pathos the defection of George Pennycutt was a small thing in itself, but it meant the removal of another landmark. We had some bully good times in that studio, he said. The words were a requiem. The first person whom he met in this great house, in the kingdom of which he was to be king consort, was a butler of incredible stateliness. This was none other than Steve's friend Keggs, but. Round the outlying portions of this official, he had perceived, as the door opened, a section of a woman in a brown dress. The butler moving to one side, he found himself confronting Mrs. Laura Delane Porter. If other things in Kirk's world had changed, time had wrought in vain upon the great authoress. She looked as masterful, as unyielding, and as efficient as she had looked at the time of his departure. She took his hand without emotion, and inspected him keenly you are thinner she remarked i said that aunt laura said ruth poor boy he's a skeleton you are not so robust i've been ill ruth interposed he's had fever aunt laura and you're not to tease him i should be the last person to tease any man what sort of fever i think it was a blend of all sorts replied kirk kind of irish stew of fever you are not infectious certainly not mrs porter checked ruth as she was about to speak we owe it to william to be careful she explained after all the trouble we have taken to exclude him from germs it is only reasonable to make these inquiries come along dear said ruth i'll show you the house don't mind aunt laura she whispered she means well and she really is splendid with bill kirk followed her he was feeling chilled again his old mistrust of mrs porter revived If their brief interview was to be taken as evidence, she seemed to have regained entirely her old ascendancy over Ruth. He felt vaguely uneasy, as a man might who walks into a powder magazine. Aunt Laura lives here now, observed Ruth casually as they went upstairs. Kirk started. Literally, do you mean? Is this her home? Ruth smiled at him over her shoulder. She won't interfere with you, she said. Surely this great house is large enough for the three of us besides she's so devoted to Bill she looks after him all the time of course nowadays I don't get quite so much time to be with him myself one has an awful lot of calls on one I feel Bill is so safe with Aunt Laura on the premises she stopped at a door on the first floor this is Bill's nursery he's just out now Mammy takes him for a drive every morning when it's fine something impelled Kirk to speak don't you ever take him for walks in the morning now he asked, he used to love it silly of course i do when i can manage it for drives rather aunt laura is rather against his walking much in the city he might so easily catch something you know she opened the door there she said what do you think of that for a nursery if kirk had spoken his mind he would have said that of all the ghastly nurseries the human brain could have conceived this was the ghastliest it was a large square room and, to Kirk's startled eyes, had much of the appearance of an operating theatre at a hospital. There was no carpet on the tiled floor. The walls, likewise tiled, were so bare that the eye ached contemplating them. In the corner by the window stood a little white cot. Beside it on the wall hung a large thermometer. Various knobs of brass decorated the opposite wall. At the farther end of the room was a bath, complete with shower, and all the other apparatus of a modern tub it was probably the most horrible room in all new york well what do you think of it demanded ruth proudly kirk gazed at her speechless this he said to himself was ruth his wife who had housed his son in the spare bedroom of the studio and allowed a shaggy irish terrier to sleep on his bed who had permitted him to play by the hour in the dust of the studio floor who had even assisted him to do so by sending him to the dust herself in the role of a bear or a snake what had happened to this world from which he had been absent but one short year was everybody mad or was he hopelessly behind the times well ruth reminded him kirk eyed the dreadful room it looks clean he said at last it is clean said the voice of laura delane porter proudly behind him she had followed them up the stairs to do the honours of the nursery the centre of her world It is essentially clean. There is not an object in that room which is not carefully sterilised night and morning with a weak solution of boric acid. Even Mammy, inquired Kirk. It had been his intention to be mildly jocular, but Mrs. Porter's reply showed him that in jest he had spoken the truth. Certainly. Have you any idea, Kirk, of the number of germs there are on the surface of the human body? It runs into billions. You, she fixed him with her steely eye, you are at... The present moment one mass of microbes I sneak through quarantine all right to the adult there is not so much danger in these microbes provided he or she maintains a reasonable degree of personal cleanliness that is why adults may be permitted to mix with other adults without preliminary sterilization but in the case of a growing child it is entirely different no precaution is excessive so from below at this point there came the sound of the front doorbell ruth went to the landing and looked over the banisters that ought to be bill and mammy back from their drive she said the sound of a child's voice came to kirk as he stood listening and as he heard it all the old feeling of paternal pride and excitement which had left him during his wanderings swept over him like a wave he reproached himself that while the memory of ruth had been with him during every waking moment of the past year there had been occasions when that of little william bannister had become a little faded he ran down the stairs hello mammy he said how are you you're looking well mammy greeted him with the shy smile which was wont to cause such havoc in steve's heart and who's this you've got with you mammy you know you've got no business going about with young men like this who is he he stood looking at william bannister and william bannister stood looking at him kirk smiling william staring with the intense gravity of childhood and trying to place this bearded stranger among his circle of friends he seemed to be thinking that the familiarity of the other's manner indicated a certain amount of previous acquaintanceship watch that busy brain working said kirk he's trying to place me it's all right bill old man it's my fault i had no right to spring myself on you with eight feet of beard it isn't giving you a square deal never mind it's coming off in a few minutes never to return and then perhaps you'll remember that you've a father shrieked william bannister triumphantly taking the cue with admirable swiftness he leapt at kirk and kirk swung him up in the air it was quite an effort for william bannister had grown astonishingly in the past year pop he said firmly as if resolved to prevent any possibility of mistake daddy he added continuing to play upon the theme he summed up you're my pop then satisfied that this was final and there could now be no chance for kirk to back out of the contract He reached out a hand, and gave a tug at the beard, which had led to all the confusion. "'What's this?' "'You may well ask,' said Kirk. "'I got stuck that way because I left you and Mummy for a whole year. But now I'm back, and I'm going to be allowed to take it off and give it away. "'Whom shall I give it to? "'Steve? "'Do you think Steve would like it?' "'Yes, you can go on pulling it. "'It won't break. "'On the other hand, I should just like to mention that it's hurting something fierce, "'my son. "'It's fastened at the other end, you know.' "'Why?' don't ask me that's the way it's built William Bannister obligingly disentangled himself from the beard where you been he inquired miles and miles away you know the battery William Bannister nodded well a long way past that first I took a ship and went ever so many miles then I landed and went ever so many more miles with all sorts of beasts trying to bite pieces out of me this interested William Bannister tigers he inquired I didn't actually see any tigers, but I expect they were sneaking around. They were mosquitoes, though. You know what a mosquito is? William nodded. Bumps? He observed crisply. That's right. You see this lump here, just above my mouth? Well, that's not a mosquito bite. That's my nose. But think of something about that size, and you'll have some idea of what a mosquito bite is like out there. But why am I boring you with my troubles? Tell me all about yourself. You've certainly been growing. Whatever else you may have been doing while I've been away? I can hardly lift you. Has Steve taught you to box yet? At this moment, he was aware that he had become the centre of a small group. Looking round, he found himself gazing into a face so stiff with horror and disapproval that he was startled almost into dropping William. What could have happened to induce Mrs Porter to look like that? He could not imagine, but her expression checked the flow of light conversation as if it had been turned off with a switch. He lowered Bill to the ground. "'What on earth's the matter?' he asked. "'What has happened?' Without replying, Mrs. Porter made a gesture in the direction of the nursery, which had the effect of sending Mammy and her charge off again on the journey upstairs, which Kirk's advent had interrupted. Bill seemed sorry to go, but he trudged sturdily on without remark. Kirk followed him with his eyes, till he disappeared at the bend of the stairway. "'What's the matter?' he repeated. "'Are you mad, Kirk?' demanded mrs porter in a tense voice kirk turned helplessly to ruth you better let me explain aunt laura she said of course kirk couldn't be expected to know poor boy you seem to forget that he has only this minute come into the house aunt laura was not to be appeased that is absolutely no excuse he has just left a ship where he cannot have failed to pick up bacilli of every description he has himself only recently recovered from a probably infectious fever He is wearing a beard, notoriously the most germ-ridden abomination in existence. Kirk started. He was not proud of his beard, but he had not regarded it as quite the pestilential thing which it seemed to be in the eyes of Mrs. Porter. "'And he picks up the child,' she went on, "'hugs him, kisses him, and you say he could not have known better. Surely the most elementary common sense.' "'Aunt Laura,' said Ruth, She spoke quietly, but there was a note in her voice which acted on Mrs. Porter like magic. Her flow of words ceased abruptly. It was a small incident, but it had the effect of making Kirk, grateful as he was for the interruption, somehow vaguely uneasy for a moment. It seemed to indicate some subtle change in Ruth's character, some new quality of hardness added to it. The Ruth he had left when he had sailed for Columbia would, he felt, have been incapable of quelling her masterful aunt so very decisively and with such an economy of words it suggested previous warfare in which the elder woman had been subdued to a point where a mere exclamation could pull her up when she forgot herself kirk felt uncomfortable he did not like these sudden discoveries about ruth i will explain to kirk she said you go up and see that everything is right in the nursery and amazing spectacle off went mrs porter without another word ruth put her arm in kirk's and led him to the smoking-room you may smoke a cigar while i tell you all about bill she said kirk lit a cigar bewildered it was always unpleasant to be the person to whom things have to be explained a poor old boy ruth went on you certainly are thin but about bill i am afraid you are going to be a little upset about bill kirk aunt laura has no tact and she will make a speech on every possible occasion but she was right just now it really was rather dangerous picking bill up like that and kissing him kirk stared i don't understand did you expect me to wave my hand to him or would it be more correct to bow don't be so satirical kirk you wither me no seriously you mustn't kiss bill i never do nobody does what i dare say it sounds ridiculous to you but you were not here when he was so ill and nearly died you remember that i was telling you at the dock about giving whiskers away well this is all part of it after what happened i felt like aunt laura that we simply can't take too many precautions you saw his nursery well it would simply be a waste of money giving him a nursery like that if he was allowed to be exposed to infection when he was out of it and i'm supposed to be infectious no more than anybody else there's no need to be hurt about it it's just as much a sacrifice for me So, nobody makes a fuss over Bill now, is that it? Well, no, not in the way you mean. Pretty dreary outlook for the kid, isn't it? It's all for his good. What a ghastly expression!" Ruth left her chair and came to sit on the arm of Kirk's. She ruffled his hair lightly with the tips of her fingers. Kirk, who had been disposed to be militant, softened instantly. The action brought back a flood of memories. It conjured up recollections of peaceful evenings in the old studio, for this had been a favourite habit of Ruth's. It made him feel that he loved her more than he had ever done in his life, and incidentally that he was a brute to try and thwart her in anything whatsoever. I know it's horrid for you, dear old boy, said Ruth coaxingly, but do be good and not make a fuss about it. Not kissing Bill doesn't mean you need be any the less fond of him. I know it would be strange at first. I didn't get used to it for ever so long, but honestly it is for his good, however ghastly the expression of the thing may sound. It's treating the kid like a wretched invalid, grumbled Kirk. You wait till you see him playing, then you'll know if he's a wretched invalid or not. May I see him playing? Don't be silly, of course. I thought I'd better ask. Being the perambulating plague-spot that I am, I was not taking any risks. How horribly self-centred you are! you will talk as if you were in some special sort of quarantine i keep on telling you it's the same for all of us i suppose when i'm with him i shall have to be sterilized i don't think it necessary myself but aunt laura does so it's always done it humours her and it really isn't any trouble besides it may be necessary after all one never knows and it's best to be on the safe side kirk laid down his cigar firmly the cold cigar which stress of emotion had made him forget to keep a light ruth old girl he said earnestly this is pure lunacy ruth's fingers wandered idly through his hair and she did not speak for some moments you will be good about it won't you kirk dear she said at last it's curious what a large part hair and its treatment may play in the undoing of strong men the case of samson may be recalled in this connection kirk with ruth ruffling the wiry growth that hid his scalp was incapable of serious opposition He tried, to be morose and resolute, but failed miserably. "'Oh, very well,' he grunted. "'That's a good boy. And you promise you won't go hugging Bill again?' "'Very well. There's an angel for you. Now, I'll fix you a cocktail as a reward.' "'Well, mind you, sterilise it carefully.' Ruth laughed, having gained her point she could afford to. She made the cocktail and brought it to him. "'Now I'll be off to dress, and then you can take me out to lunch somewhere.' "'Aren't you dressed?' my goodness no not for going to restaurants you forget that i'm one of the idle rich now i spend my whole day putting on different kinds of clothes i've a position to keep up now mr winfield kirk lit a fresh cigar and sat thinking the old feeling of desolation which had attacked him when he came up the bay had returned he felt like a stranger in a strange world life was not the same ruth was not the same nothing was the same the more he contemplated the new regulations affecting bill the chillier and more unfriendly did they seem to him he could not bring himself to realize Ruth as one of the great army of cranks preaching and carrying out the gospel of Laura Delane Porter it seemed so at variance with her character as he had known it he could not seriously bring himself to believe that she genuinely approved of these absurd restrictions yet apparently she did he looked into the future it had a gray and bleak aspect he seemed himself like a man gazing down an unknown path, full of unknown perils End of Chapter two of Book two Recording by Tim Bulkley of Big Bible dot